Today on Podcast by the Bay, we return to our People on the Peninsula series and showcase an exclusive interview with current Woodside Councilman Dave Tanner. If you look at how where we've gone in the last 20 years or 30 years, it's incredible the cost of living has increased so much. We shouldn't have had a, that, that increase here that much, but it's because... Everybody wanted to be here. This is where it was happening for all the computer industry. This is, you know, which has been a great thing. I'm not saying anything bad about it. But one of the things that nobody looked after, and I kept on asking was, but they keep growing, but it's, it's gobbling up all the things that we have out there that we need. Dave Tanner will talk solutions. He talks practical solutions about transportation, housing, and an innovative idea about a transit system to go all the way out to Stockton. We need to bring 380 back online, build a bridge going across the bay, put a high-speed rail on it, and take us out to Stockton where the properties are affordable. And Dave's vision on actually how to get it done. There's so much out there, and we're not looking at it. We're putting Band-Aids on this mess and spending more money on that than anything else. We need to stop the insanity, say, I'm sorry, we're not going to build any more in the peninsula right now. Just stop it for a while. Get this thought done. Get it going. There's a way. We have all, everything we need to loop the peninsula. We have Highway 101 and 280. Well, one's on the top of the hill and one's at the bottom. We can loop the whole peninsula down to San Jose and back wow. and connect it into this. And when you go out to Stockton, you can take out another loop from there and take you out to further valleys. Where people, where there's land to grow, there's land to do things. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading the show. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends and for keeping us informed with everything that's going on in your community. And that's what we're about today. So today, we're actually going to get back to our People on the Peninsula series. And we actually are going to showcase an entire show to one of a fascinating individual here on the peninsula as part of our People on the Peninsula series. And this is Dave Tanner. And so Dave Tanner is a current city councilman in Woodside. But he's also somebody that wants to talk about solutions. He wants to talk about solutions to housing, 
uh, tr- transportation. And he's really a visionary that's really looking to really take things to the next level as far as solutions and really solving some of these problems that everybody's talking about. So I think today this is a great opportunity for us to really showcase a People on the Peninsula series and really have an exclusive interview with someone who's really engaged and motivated about solving some of these problems because that's what we're about here at Podcast by the Bay. So, Patrick, you got to speak with Dave. You got to meet him. You got to talk about him. You got to talk about some of these solutions. So what was your feedback? Well, you know, well, first, before I talk about Dave Tanner, I've got to give credit to the owner of Buck's Restaurant, which we have an upcoming interview with him that should... Actually, he was so pleased with our interview on people on the peninsula. And, of course, we were going to showcase that on the air in the next week or so. He introduced me to Dave Tanner. Dave Tanner is, uh, lives in Woodside. He's a contractor. He's got a nice little shop that's in, up there uh, near Roberts Market. Um, he um, is right close to a, a nursery and a bakery. This is uh, right off Woodside Road in Woodside. He lives in Woodside. He's a very successful, very energetic kind of guy. Um I had an opportunity to interview him for probably about probably almost 45 minutes. Uh, and he's clearly thinks outside of the box. Um, and he doesn't think like most politicians think, meaning that he just doesn't like going along with the program. He was saying when he goes onto a committee, whether it's a transportation committee or whether it's a housing committee, he wants to make a difference. It's not just showing up to another meeting. And to have somebody that's been a public servant for 18 years in Woodside, says a lot of says volumes for him when i met dave tanner in his office he uh, i sat down in his office and he's got a double screen computer he was talking about his vision uh he's got a monorail vision um which would start in the tamfran shopping center for a lot of you people tamfran shopping center was bought uh probably a couple of years ago now and it's going to be leveled uh they're going to redo that tamfran shopping center but out there he wants to connect a monorail system to 380. And that 380 would connect to all those surrounding cities within 20 or 30 minutes. And the monorail system he's talking about, he's got a video. He's got a video uh, where he shows where the monorail goes. And from each location from the Tamfran Shopping Center, it's about a 20 or 30 minute ride. Um, what, a, what a relief that could be to 101 and 280. For all of those people that are commuting in here to get into a actually a a monorail system that gets them from one point to the other point in 20 to 30 minutes. So he's got a vision. He is going to be presenting this vision uh, to the surrounding city councils, but he's going to need people to act. He's going to need to to get the cooperation of, of other city councils in the county. He has really studied the right of ways. He has studied the locations and his format is good. Eventually, we're going to hopefully get a new updated video with his permission. Maybe we'll be able to feature that video on Podcast by the Bay, maybe on our website. I know Andre's got a copy of it. But the copy that we have is an older version. He's going to modernize it a little bit more. But what a visionary. What an opportunity. This man is not necessarily, he doesn't have a college degree, but he's hardworking. He's smart. Doesn't mean that you have to have a college degree to have vision. I mean, he's like Walt Disney. He says, you're only limited by your imagination. So I am honored to have that opportunity to interview Dave Tanner. And I think our listeners are going to be impressed with what he has to say. I agree. I have actually heard the interview and I've actually seen the video. And it is amazing to hear some of these ideas and talk about solutions. And actually, as I was just uh, reading on the Bay Area Council dot org website they're actually 
also looking at uh, opportunities to really expanding and deepening the Bay Area, Fresno, Central Valley uh, connections with some sort of high-speed rail. So it's actually, so people are coming up with similar kind of ideas at the same time, and they're trying to align. So Dave Tanner, uh, he did mention to Patrick that he is going to be presenting to the, the is it the Peninsula the City Council? Is that, what, is that what it is? Right, right. Peninsula Council of Cities. Yeah, so he is going to be speaking there, and he's going to be presenting his idea. And so we get we have an exclusive interview with Dave Tanner, and he's also a city councilman on the Woodside City Council. So he's definitely uh, somebody who's engaged, who knows the process, knows the the ins and outs, how to get things done, how to bring solutions. And we are pleased to present this exclusive interview with Dave Tanner here on Podcast by the Bay as part of our People on the Peninsula series. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the interview. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can contact us through Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay, or follow us on Twitter at podcastbythebay is our handle. All right. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Dave Towner interview, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. So signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. We're, we're live right now. This is uh, Patrick with Podcast by the Bay. I've got Dave Tanner. Uh, he's got a business here in Woodside. I'm going to let him introduce himself. He's been in the, the business since 1977. Uh, he builds homes. Um, I'm assuming he works on other projects too. Why don't you give us a little bit of background of you, Dave? Okay. Well, I'm Dave Tanner. And uh, I've grown up in the peninsula all my life and uh, became a builder in 1977 where my company, we design and build custom homes. We also design and build landscaping for people who want it done correctly. Um, I sit on the town council of Woodside, have been for 18 years That's a, as an elected official. Um, I sit on Mosquito Abatement District too as a on the board of directors. And uh, how did you how did you get involved in the uh, getting into city council and the government here in Woodside? Well, well it started you... out about twenty eight years ago, and I got involved with some of the smaller groups of people uh, meeting to get things done and changed in the neighborhoods and. It just took off from there. I've sat on the town's architectural site and review board for people who are coming in and wanting places built, and they have to, we have a review board for it. From there, I went up, uh, spent six years on that, and from there, I went up to the planning commission, sat on the planning commission for uh, three years, and then uh, the council person who was in my district left and... Uh, I was asked to step up into the council seat, so I was appointed up to the council, and then I ran for an election after that. What, di- what district do you uh, represent in Woodside? Well, I represented District 1 for several years, and then I moved to another part, which is another district, and uh, stepped off the council for about two months, and then went back on on District 4 because the council person in District 4 decided to step down and wanted me to take his place. So. Okay, have you ever been mayor in uh, Woodside? Yes. What, what year were you, you mayor? 
2002 and 2012. As a real estate broker and been in real estate for over 38 years, um, Woodside's got a, a pretty big name for itself for all the people that live in Woodside. And also you have a, a lot of people that probably make quite a bit of money. And we were always told that how difficult it was to build in Woodside. And I know over the time it's improved. Can you give us a little history of what your experience has been? Because you've obviously been here about, around that period of time yourself. Oh, yes. Uh, I've been in Woodside since 1980. So... 1980, we had a small building boom, and there weren't that many restrictions on what you could build in town. Um, I built a home in Portola Valley that was 30,000 square feet that raised the hackles of everybody in Portola Valley, Woodside, and a lot of the local cities and communities. So they started looking at restrictions because they didn't want homes that large. They didn't want projects going on that long. 30,000 square foot home takes five, six years, and it's really hard on the neighbors to put up with it. And it requires a lot of people, especially a home that size. So, What, 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 what caused all those uh, delays or restrictions back then? And then kind of take us to where it is now. There weren't very many delays and restrictions back then. It was uh, it, it's primarily, it was pretty easy to build back then. And it was slightly restrictive on the architectural side of view board. They were more worried about what things looked like, and that was about it. And then as time progressed and people wanted to keep building and keep changing things, keep moving, more and more uh, people got involved. The people who lived in Woodside a long time didn't want to see any changes happen to Woodside. So they tried restricting more and more and more as time went on. So they wrote more rules, more regulations, more things that they wanted everybody to deal with. and So it became a little bit harder and a little bit harder as time went on. Uh, when you look at Atherton, Atherton has not put up as many walls or decided to say, hey, we're, we're not going to give a lot of barriers. You're going to come in. You get a piece of property. You get to do what you want. And then Atherton started experiencing several issues, too, and then they started restricting as well. Uh, Hillsboro wish they would have they've talked to me many times and wish that they would have come up with the same restrictions as Woodside. So Woodside is one of the few communities left that actually uh, has large properties. When you go to Hillsboro, they're all chopped up to one acre lots. Atherton allowed the same thing, constant chopping up of properties. Woodside fought it. And I believe it was 1986 or 87, the council people at that time de-zoned or uh, changed the regulations for zoning and made it really restrictive. So they took certain areas and said, instead of being able to cut it into a, a one acre lot, we want them as five and seven and 10 acres. So they really started restricting things that way. And uh, it became more and more as time went on. So I know Hillsboro, for my experience in Hillsboro, they have to have a minimum of a, a half acre lot. Um, even though there are some lots out there that are substandard, and I know I've sold property over the years with some substandard lots. Now, in Woodside, is it still true that uh, if you wanted horse property, that you at least have to have a minimum of one acre? That's correct. 
Okay. In um, in in um, in Woodside, is there an architectural review board? I know when we were talking now. Uh, Architects, obviously Hillsborough probably has that dilemma with the Flintstone house. It uh, still sits off 280 with some dinosaurs on it now. So do we, in Woodside, are they uh, uh, pretty tight on uh, what type of architecture? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So there won't be any Flintstone houses in uh, Woodside? No, there will not be any Flintstone houses in Woodside. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for answering that. Just for the listeners out there, not everybody knows how many people approximately live in Woodside. I have an idea, but what's, what's your idea how many people live in Woodside? Well, it, it varies at times, but mostly it stays around 5,200 people who live in Woodside. You know, I had the honor of interviewing the uh, mayor of Portola Valley, uh, John, John Powers, and I was quite impressed on the collaboration that goes between Woodside, uh, Woodside and, and, and Portola Valley. Um, any comments on that? Um, because I know you guys are, at least from my understanding, you guys are working, if you have any natural catastrophe or disaster, you guys are right next to each other. You know, you're only one, one uh, road apart. Well, yes, we have kind of the same trail systems for horses. We have the same fire district. We have the same sheriff's department. We share the cost of the fire in the, sh in, in the sheriff's department. Um, our two communities are pretty much alike. You know, we're a little valley in here, and, and you know, we protect it as much as we can. You know, that, that was impressive. It was kind of the old hometown feeling that you guys are going to be out there helping each other. One of the political things, and you guys are already there, you guys have a district. Uh, people run for district positions. Um, as you know, uh, there's been some lawsuits, and they're trying to force most cities, the, uh, the people that run for elected office for city council or board of supervisor or whatever, run for the district. Do you, do you have any opinion on that? Well, the way Woodside does it is we have a district we must live in to represent it. And, but we vote on everything as a council. Everything is done as a council as a whole. So um, an argument came up like that the other night upon a council person being absent and we haven't appointed one up and somebody said that district is not being represented properly. Well, it is being represented properly. We all know as council people, we've been here a long time, you get to know all of Woodside. It's ins and outs, it's neighborhoods, it's ups and downs, everything that's going on at Woodside. So all the districts do get totally represented. So. Um, but I do believe in district representation because it allows for uh, micro-issues to be addressed sooner than later. And I say micro-issues as um, one of the districts that we have is, has Old La Honda Road on it, which has been uh, a constant battle because the way the, the, the road slips away and the issues with the roads and so on and so forth. Um, what was the last year you were on council? I'm still on the council. Oh, you're still on the council. Okay, that's great. Well, this, this is, is this is my last year of being on the council. Well, this is an honor to interview you because I did. Uh, I was successful to interview the, the uh, mayor. Yes. Okay, he he will be up shortly on podcast by the day. Okay, uh, very engaging guy. He gave me some real good answers, and uh, he seems like a good fit for the council. Mm -hmm. uh, and he told me his passion too. So. What are you, some of the accomplishments? Because you have obviously been on the council for a few years in the past. What are some of your highlights that you, you saw that came to flourishing because of your involvement um, in, the, in the local government? Well, 
one of the biggest things I had when I was mayor the first time was dealing with uh, Phillips Brooks School that was trying to go into Woodside and they were trying to take a big area over and uh, it was being fought by a lot of people in town. So um, Phillips Brooks School got pushed away. Another issue we had was uh, Kenyatta College uh, is in Woodside and um, they were trying to do a housing development for uh, their employees so they have a place for employees that they recruit they come in they can live cheaply while they're getting acclimated into the area and figure out where they want to live their project was uh, a multi-jurisdictional project we had to be involved with Redwood City as well as San Mateo County and in um, Woodside well as we went through boundaries and so on and so forth with the project um, we discovered that um, Woodside needed to annex over some of the property because Woodside did not, does not have sewers and they needed sewer capacity for this where Redwood City had it. So we annexed part of the land over to Redwood City um, and we got low-income housing credits that we really needed because we don't have a lot of low-income housing here in the town. Um, we try as best we can with small cottages and everything, but that's about it. We don't have any major housing in town. We have multiple houses. So that was a project I worked on. And then uh, at the last minute, they came to us with the final design, which was nothing that we originally liked and approved. So we, the neighborhood that was next to the college was challenging them because they didn't want it. And nobody wanted this project as it came to the end near on this design. I got involved with it um, and took a couple other council people with me and we went up as a subcommittee and uh, changed the architects minds on how it was going to be designed. The school loved it. Um, I talked things over with the residents from Redwood City who were protesting it. They were getting for their lawsuit and uh, stopped the lawsuit. We got the project approved that was 10 times or 100 times better than what they originally came to us with. Wow, that's so, great. I know that, that, that project has been a, quite a success on the and peninsula. It's been quite a success on yeah. the peninsula. It's been a just a poster. Absolutely. Uh, I know the, uh, it, is it parallel a little bit to what uh, Stanford University has done over the years? I know that they have that um, certain housing for professors, uh, and that housing, uh, they they can buy into it, they can have it for a five-year or ten-year period or whatever that is, and they get a little bit, of, I think they get some kind of equity, but they need to sell it back to Stanford right. or through Stanford yes. or something like that. Yeah, I'm not that aware of Stanford's okay. process, but I know they've got a project like that. Uh, they have one at CSM. Correct. College of right. San did a successful project, right. too. So it's been a great success. Woodside helped a lot with it, and uh, it was a win-win for everybody. Well, this goes into a really good question uh, for when we, and we're talking about the crisis. And I know you're in a unique town, so is Portola Valley. You guys aren't building multi-units, apartment buildings, duplexes. But I know you're also working with secondary units and trying to comply with helping people to build that extra secondary unit, whether it's for a family member or it's uh, to rent the main house out and they'll live in the, the secondary unit. Um, recently, there was a bill before the State Assembly, uh, Bill 827, which is the Wiener Bill. Now, the Wiener Bill basically 
died just two two days ago. Okay, so there's a lot of happy people and a lot of unhappy people. And the Wiener Bill basically was trying to um, dictate to cities on their housing design and housing usage. Um, so it's been my experience interviewing the uh, 14 mayors I've interviewed so far that no one was in favor of the Wiener Bill. They're all. They're all over the board on how many affordable housing you have Foster City that has a 20% requirement on each project. You may have one in Redwood City that says it's project by project. Uh, you may have in San Mateo or Belmont the same thing. One project in Belmont might be 20%, another may be 30%, another one might not have it at all. What's your opinion on, on the state trying to pass legislation to dictate the cities? Well, how much housing, affordable housing, not low-cost housing, but affordable housing should be? I think it's been wrong all the way through. Um, when you go to the state of California's legislature, they have one rule that tries to fit all. Every city, every community, all the different communities within each city, and they have the counties, which are all different. So if you go up and down to California, we have so much variables on what each community is and each community's personality, what made that community that community. So you try to commit, uh, compare Carmel, downtown Carmel, with Los Angeles. Well, they can't use the same rules. Nobody can use all the same rules. They're trying to oversee us to the point where we're all the same and we're not all the same. So. I believe that what they're trying to do there is completely wrong, all right? We all have different tax issues. We all have different weather issues. We have different community issues, population issues. Um, it's just they can't make one rule fit all for everybody. And I think what they should do is allow each community to rule itself. How do you think, um, and I think that's a very valid point, and I think that was expressed widely against the Wiener Bill, as opposed to the other thing that was against the Wiener Bill is, is that they were encouraging other investors to be getting rid of their apartment buildings and they would maybe be taken over by eminent domain and then all of a sudden you're building high-rise units in areas that may be corridor transportation, may not be corridor transportation, and I know we're going to get into that shortly. What's, what's your take on how, uh, if, you know, you're sitting on a council, you're a builder, what do you think we should do about the thing? And when we talk about housing, I want to distinguish between a couple of things. Right now, the big crisis we have is workforce housing, which means it's teachers, it's bankers, it's lawyers, it's nurses. Uh, and the buzzword, uh, not a, and I want to use that as affordable housing, we already have the um, Section 8 low-cost housing um, that is already on the peninsula. Maybe that's understaffed too, but I want to focus for a moment about the workforce housing because... As you've been in construction, you need your carpenters, you need your electricians, you need your plumbers, you need your sheetrockers, you need your plasters. What can we do to have some housing for those people? Actually, we're out of land. That's the biggest problem, okay? We have so much open space we should maintain for the health of everybody. As they say, you can only put so many chickens in a cage, so many dogs in a cage. You can only have so many people living in a one-bedroom house or a one-bedroom apartment. So what we're doing is becoming overpopulated in this one area. 
Our biggest problem is transportation, which is fueling all of this. So we have limited amount of arterial ways to get in and out of the peninsula. The peninsula has grown to the point of, um, I think it's maxed out. We are on the verge of uh, gridlock and traffic. They only have one train system with tracks running up and down the peninsula. They have BART, which is a transportation mode. It's like a bus that stops every so once in a while. It doesn't, it's not necessarily fast or expedient. It doesn't take you where you really need to go. The car is what gets you where you need to go. And we don't have room for any more cars. So we have it now is getting more and more slower traffic. So when you get on the freeway sometimes, you're doing 20 miles an hour on a freeway. You're just bumper to bumper creeping along trying to get home. I, you know, today in the Daily Journal, they had a big article on there. I don't know if you caught the Daily Journal. They were showing Supervisor David Canepa. And, and, I, and I, I, I pride him or give him a little credit for standing up for something. And maybe I have my opinion on it. I, I know they're, they're trying to do a Band-Aid approach on the, on the highways and freeways right now. And if I'm reading this correctly, um, it's passed. They want to do some toll lanes. Um, and I'm not just talking about the disparity of some people can afford the toll, some people can't afford the toll. That's, that's a problem in itself. But do you think that just putting toll lanes is going to get these people out of their cars or, or driving more carpools? I mean, it, it doesn't appear that on the surface that what they're planning, and what I'm talking about is off the 92 and 101. Mm-hmm. No, I don't believe it's going to help at all. I think it's just another stupid idea that the government has come up with, just like when we had the carpool lanes. So everybody was in the car, and when you're trying to look at put only so many people into a carpool lane and the rest of the freeway is still the same size, still doesn't work. All you did is shove more people into the slow lanes who cannot uh, commute with somebody. When you look at uh, commuters, if they all work at the same place and all live in the same neighborhood, that works. But if you have everybody living in different places, working in different places, it only works to a certain amount. It really has issues. And then you're also sharing your car with somebody. And who gets reimbursed for that? (laughs) It's wear and tear on a car. More people you add to it, more fuel it needs to go down the, the highway. So there's no benefit of this, all right? It might be nice to share, you know, if you can, share a ride. We, I drive myself as much as I can to share a ride. But it doesn't work. It, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an idea, but it doesn't really solve the problem. Well, it's, it, just, it, it's, it's worse than a Band-Aid, right? right? It's, it's kind of like wiping the wound every time. Well, it's kind of an insult because I know that Foster City and San Mateo picked up on a program called Scoop. Okay, and they, they wanted to do the politically correct thing, and they did. They picked up Scoop, and Scoop was supposed to be shared riding. And, of course, the city gave so much money. Let's say it was 30000 San Mateo, 30000 Foster City. And basically, they were just subsidizing the cost because they were going to charge the consumer, let's say, $5, and it would have cost $10. Of course, Scoop went by the wayside and is on moveon.org. Uh, are you familiar with the MoveOn.org, and, 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 um, and what do you think of the MoveOn.org? Is that just a bunch of uh, talk? Same thing. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm passionate. It's just a different name for it. Okay. All right? The problem is we're not addressing is the only place we're going to find land 
is on the other side of the bay. So we're trapped. We're a peninsula. We're trapped on multiple multiple sides of the peninsula. Okay? So we have the Golden Gate Bridge, which we have a small arterial way to get across to another part of our continent here, uh, another part of the state. Um, we have the Bay Bridge, the San Mateo Bridge, the Dumbarton Bridge that gets us across the other area. But we only have two freeways that takes you east. That's it. You can't put all those people on two freeways going east. Not everybody's living in Hayward and Oakland and, and all those places. They live out in areas where they can afford. See, one of the biggest problems is affordability for housing. And once you find affordable housing, you're so far away from where you work to afford it that you have to be on the road too long a time. Well, one of my passions with talking with most of the mayors, and I'm just going to get into your thing in a little bit, is, is that we don't have a regional transit district. We're, we, we may have Sam Trans, we may have BART, we may have a uh, Seamus Murphy that represents the, the conglomerate of all the transit systems, but we don't have a plan. Uh, and it, it, it's very apparent that each city is working independently, even if they go to a seminar uh, every year in Monterey or they go to some seminar talking about transportation, it's the same lingo over and over again, improving the roads. They really don't have a plan. Do you think a regional district um, with transportation could be better? I, I did interview Seamus Murphy, and I really would like you to listen to his because I hit him with some really tough questions, and I was very surprised that he could answer those. His question on showing a little bit of our public transit, he says, when you have Sam Tramps, that's for the poor people, that's for the senior citizens. It's not an efficient, because as you know, the transit system, Sam Tram's down. They're all fighting for that same tax dollar, federal and state, under ridership. So their interest is really independent of the whole. Of all the years I've been talking about this with other council people up and down the peninsula in San Mateo County, they all were trying to, everybody's trying to run for a board, either Sam Trams, all right, or uh, Caltrain. A bag. A bag, trying to put it together. Well, I've always said, I said that we're doing it backwards. And you got everybody fighting for the same tax dollar going in the same direction. I've always said, if you're going to do this, we need to have our buses running east to west. Maybe a couple buses running north-south like they do now. And they don't really go east-west. They have a couple little routes for that. But they need smaller buses, like satellite buses, to go into the neighborhoods where people can be picked up. Right now, if you wanted to take the bus, if I had to leave in Woodside right now and try to take a bus, somehow I have to get down to Redwood City to catch the bus on El Camino Real. Or the train, which is pretty close to that. The train runs almost parallel with El Camino Real. So we have this issue. You have tax dollars going towards Caltrain. You have tax dollars going towards the bus. And they're both going in the same direction. We have an issue. It's a management issue. And this management issue comes out of Samtrans and Caltrain's management. They don't want to see it working in opposite to what they have right now. So we have a big issue, and now it's all managed and handled. 
So they think they, they really think linear, right? They, yeah. They don't see the big picture. They don't see the big picture. Yeah. They and and when you deal with all council people, I've always said that their staff runs them. They don't run their staff. Mm-hmm. They're only attacking little things that staff brings to them at the meetings. There's no forward thinking upon the big picture. And I don't care all the different groups, anything you want to put together, they're not thinking about the big picture, including Sacramento. Well, you know, I, 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 there, was a, there was a mayor that I interviewed, uh, Mayor Gina Pappen in Millbrae. And, and if you followed what she did, she voted against some uh, a project in Millbrae, which was connecting with, with the BART. And the major reason why she voted against it wasn't about the housing was the lack of the connections of BART and, and, and the current train system in Millbrae. And we brought to flourishing that to Seamus Murphy. Okay, and one of the things right now in Millbrae, they only go in and out to the airport a few times, where it should be as a hub, should be going there every 10 or 15 minutes. So there is some push. I, 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 I think the, the other push we saw in the paper one of the things that I was passionate about, the state and county own a lot of property. Caltrans over, uh, or Caltrans owns over 30 or 40 acres that they just store cars. There's, not, there's nothing to use. So they are talking the utilization of those areas to build housing. But when I say the housing, I'm going to be tongue-in-cheek on it. There's no study or reason why that the people that they build the housing for right near the quarter don't necessarily take public transportation. So I don't know how we can overcome that. Uh, do you have an opinion on that? I know the Bay Meadows project did a unique thing. One of the phases, and I talked to Rick Vanilla, and is, is that they required in a certain section that you either had a shared car um, or that the, the parking was limited, very limited. So it was trying to get more cars off the roads by you agreeing, and, and I don't know how enforceable it is. you have an opinion on that? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of opinions about that. Okay, um, it's almost like this this podcast should go on for about 10 days so we can really cover most of the real subjects about it, okay? We can always come because, back for a second one. All right, but the, the, the biggest problem is, so somebody gets an apartment, and they work really close by. That job goes away. Now that person's in that apartment. Now they have to find their next job. Well, that next job could be three towns down, four towns down in a location. Maybe they got a job up here in Woodside, which we have no bus. We have no public transportation. But the only job they can get is here. So now they have to get a car. Now what are they going to do? Do they change the apartment that they're in? Not really. Once they find a place to live, they stick to it because it's so hard to find places to live. They're not going to move. Or if they do find something closer to Woodside, it's going to be more expensive. Then they can't afford, they have to get a different job again. So we have a vicious cycle going through here at all times. One of the problems is they keep trying to put band-aids on everything without thinking ahead. Thinking ahead was 1950s, they came up with a 380 bridge. They went from the, co- the, the 380 highway, they went from the coast all the way across the bay which would have helped in transportation quite a bit because if you go to any one of our bridges right now, they're plugged solid in the mornings and the afternoons. 
you, they're they're limited about 20 miles an hour that they're going. Well, Stephen, I live in the unique city of Foster City, so I share that San Mateo Bridge and Third Avenue and Hillsdale Boulevard. And a lot of our east-west discussion doesn't come up because we're thinking that linear situation with uh, 101 and 280. Yeah. So, no, you're right. Now, another question, I'm a little bit more uh, selective on that, was is... The peninsula, as you can see, we're having a rapid increase of building multi-units, and some of them are mixed-use situations. Um, we're also at a, at a point where we're 30 or 40 years behind on some of our sewer plants and some of our uh, electrical things. So uh, are we not really being safeguarded because all these units are being built? Uh, each city's marching forward, building them um, without some accountability, I think, um, for the safety of the people. The state of California has told us, mandated us, that we must keep adding housing. But with nothing to add in for the infrastructure. And the biggest problem of, of everything you could ever see is the lack of infrastructure when they keep building. Okay, I'm a pilot. I fly. If you were to fly, if I was to take you up flying over the state of California and show you what how development goes is... Right now, you, we'll just pick up one highway. Highway 80. Highway 80, you can go all the way up to Reno. Keep going. But if you look at Highway 80 and you fly off, fly up there, not one penny was put into the expansion or any of the work for Highway 80, but they put in millions and millions of housing units that direct right to it. I can show you multiple farms that were taken over and they put in housing units and there are different cities doing these housing units and they're expanding but it's still based on highway 80. there's no new highways going in have you when's the last time you saw a new highway going besides highway 280. you haven't yeah yeah you haven't yeah so the state of california is mandating that we quadruple our population and not one penny goes into infrastructure. We are infrastructure, we are so far behind our infrastructure. Water, that's the key thing that we need. They don't want any more new dams. They fight everything you can to be able to, sort, to, to store enough water during the summer for people to actually drink water, use it for the things that we need to have to go on through life. Just water alone, right? not including when you get into the sewer systems that are going over capacity most of the time. Now, you also have, if you take the peninsula itself, we're doubling the population, but yet we're not adding any more grocery stores. Each grocery store gets their trucked-in food allotments all the time. There, if, if, if we were to have an earthquake... Within one day, every grocery store up and down this entire peninsula, if we had an issue, a major earthquake happened, we wouldn't have the food to feed people. Well, I hear the new buzzword around town and even Foster City, and I've challenged them on that many times, is that every city has to be prepared for their own catastrophe. Right. Um, and as you know, they, with the situation with the police and fire in the last 30 years, they've all moved out of the area. Uh, they work here. They might not be here when the catastrophe happens. So we, we, we form what we call CERT. Now, sure. I don't, you yes. know, and, and that all depends if you're going to be there. I'm a trained CERT myself. Mm -hmm. You probably are, too. 
Well, what happened to the old-fashioned way of government and civics? I, mean, I remember even, even with city councils, you're supposed to put money in reserve. Reserve for your fire trucks, reserve for your, your sewer, your water. What happened to all that? I mean, it, it seems like that went by the wayside. Budgets went by the wayside. The cost, what it takes to run a government now, it costs more. If, if I ran my business like we run our government, I'd been out of business a long time ago. You can't make common sense into what happens with, with government. Governments, they make wages that are just paid on, yeah, we think we can support you when you get old, and we're just going to guarantee you you get the same amount of money as when you worked. So when you retire out at an early age instead of a later age, like that most of us have to, right? they're bleeding the system dry right now. When you look at uh, CalPERS, what's going on with it, it's a disaster. Government workers used to make one half of what we did in the public, and they were guaranteed their job and retirement and everything else. But now it has gone the other way where government is making more money than the private sector with the guaranteed of retirement. Well, you know, you bring that forward. My dad was an engineer for the state of California for 38 years. He didn't go out in private practice because he wanted the CalPERS. And my mom, who's 90, uh, 91, she's collecting on the CalPERS, and, and, and thank God she's got that income coming in. But, but you're right. So are you saying the, uh, the inflation has gotten out of hand uh, with, with the government? The so inflation in the government has gotten way out of hand, okay? Um, you even look at the teachers' union. The teachers' unions right now, you teach as a teacher for 20 years, and you retire out of full pay. What's that about? So you go in as a teacher at 24 years old, 44 years old, you retire out of full pay. Well, maybe you can enlighten me. The last downturn we had in the 2008, um, I sat in and listened to Foster City, and I live in Foster City, on how they're restructuring, the, as you know, 50% of your operating expense in a city's police and fire. Mm -hmm. So ha haven't anybody gone back and renegotiated those contracts, or has it been the unions have been too strong and it hasn't been... Taken to the real. unions are very strong there, okay? And right now, actually, a lot of the cities have said, I give up, and they're going to the sheriff's department. Technically, we should have just the sheriff's department run the peninsula. That should be the way it is. And maybe they have dedicated sheriffs for each city, and that's where they have their zone. It's just like having private, you know, private, uh, your own private police force. But we have a shared cost, which could work out better. That's why the sheriffs are doing so good. So now the sheriffs have gotten in. They're taking over Millbury. They have Woodside, Portola Valley. they got San Mateo County. They've got uh, Half Moon Bay. They're, they're picking up more and more as they go along because the cities cannot afford to keep their own police well, it's surprising that my little small town of 35,000 uh, is still one of the only towns on the peninsula with that. I wanted to get really into in, into your real focus. And, that and then the same thing with fire. Fire should be the, a one big fire department. Right. right. It should be run by one one deal and figure out how to make it work. All right. But set up the economics so it can last. Okay. You can't have early retirement. All right. You don't get your check to your 65. You don't get it at 50. You might have to wait to your 65. Right. But that's the way it should be. You can't have people retiring out very young and be collecting the money the yeah. rest of their life. Well, you know, you had a good point, too. I remember in Foster City when I ran for election there, and, and one year one of the police chiefs wanted me to 
uh, I, which I thought was a good idea, is to see the merger of the San Mateo and Foster City. Well, at that time, 20 years ago, you could have been tarred and feathered. It was probably the, even though it was the right thing, wasn't the right thing to say. Well, I remember when Foster City was built, so yeah. <laughs> when they were dumping the dirt there, dumping creating the dirt. it. Jack yes. G. Foster did a good job, yep. you know, in our dikes. Even though we're, good, we're, we're going to build that levee, I hope that Proposition P passes. Let's get into what, what you're passionate about. And yeah. I was introduced to you, and I wanted to, to give your key idea on transportation. And you were talking about a, a, a system that you think could really be a catalyst to getting the workforce people in and out and get them to part of the home ownership. So why don't, you, why don't you tell the audience a little about what you're doing and how long you've been working on it. Well, I've been working on this for several years now, all right? And it is developing, you know, we had our governor talk to us, or not governor, but we had everybody tell us what, you know, the governor had in his mind was developing a high-speed rail to go from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and I started looking at it, and I looked at the, the design of it and everything, and went, well, this can't be high speed the way they're going to do this. It's almost impossible. So uh, I stood up and spoke and said, this won't work. And I said, the budget you've given us won't work. <laughs> Nothing will work on this. This is going to become a boondoggle, and the train can't meet the speeds that you can say it can. All right? So getting past that, I started thinking about it. And um, talking to one of my clients one day, we're reminiscing on a lot of the things that happened up and down the peninsula through our lives. And we were talking one day about 380 and, I, and Highway 380, what happened there where Quentin caught, stopped that. And literally got me thinking about, we started talking and got us both thinking and we were almost at the same time said, we need to bring three. 80 back online, build a bridge going across the bay, put a high-speed rail on it, and take us out to Stockton, where the properties are affordable. So, I started working on the design. We found out that uh, Tanferam Shopping Center is going to be torn down and rebuilt, and they're still working on the design of what they're going to do with that. So I thought, well, what a great hub it would be. Because right there, you have where... 280, 101, the train, Caltrain, you got BART coming through there, you have the airport right there. What, what, a, what a great transportation hub right there in San Bruno, that one little area right where 380 tries right through there. So the idea was is we complete the 380 bridge, not 380 going over to the coast, but most likely somebody's going to want that and throw thrown in it too. But our idea is to go be able to go from San Bruno across 380 crossing, through Hayward, up and over, and take us all the way out to Stockton. So, thinking about it and going through it, you look at the high-speed, real high-speed rails that, that, that are going right now. You go to Japan, they've got a train system that is so fast, it's incredible. Now, there was a, a gentleman in Los Angeles trying to put a high-speed rail that goes from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Las Vegas didn't want it because they wanted people spending the night there. They didn't want them coming in and going. They were making too much money on the hotels, so they decided they're going to nix that. Well, I, you know, I'm going to I want to dovetail a little bit, and I don't know if this story is true, that the owner of uh, Hillsdale Shopping Center, uh, the Bohannas, did not want the BART system to to go down to the shopping center area because they were afraid their shoppers would go into San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. yeah. So I just had to dovetail into that. That oh, yeah. kind of makes sense. What but you, you have to figure out where everybody's going, what everything's doing. 
So the idea was to build this high-speed rail. And then I started thinking about it. Well, you can't have just one train on a track. If you're going to build this thing, you're going through all the motions and everything. We need a four-track system. And this was designed with the bridge intact so we can have a bridge go across and relieve some of the truck traffic that is circum going around the peninsula to get where they need to go, where we can go straight across. It would also relieve some of the people who are still driving, um, as well as now we have a way to get this high-speed rail going. So the rail is designed as two rail cars on top and two hang underneath. And these four cars, the two top cars, be going back and forth to Stockton. Every nine minutes, you can pick up a, a car to go. So it's 18 minutes to Stockton to get there. What's the speed on this? Yeah, it varies, but it comes up to 200 and uh, we can hit a speed of 260 miles an hour. Um, as we're just getting across the bridge. Who's, bu who's building these monorails? Well, this is already built in Japan. It's already working. Okay, I see. It's already working. Okay. It's a proven It's a proven system. All right? So this, there's no brain surgery into this. There's no venturing out to figure out if this will work or not. It works. I think I think Walt Disney had the right idea with the monorail. We just didn't That's take right. off on it. That's right. We just didn't take off on it. He had the right idea. So this system, and we put a couple stations in, one in Livermore, one in Tracy, one in Stockton. Each one, each station you go into, you get off. So if you're traveling, say, say you're already all the way out in Stockton. Now, you're working here. When you go home, you stop at the station. Each station has stores in it where you can stop, go grocery shopping, you can, or they have uh, daycare for the smaller kids. There, there's all these facilities that can be there. So people can come here and go to work. And leave again, which would help the businesses here dramatically. So Silicon Valley can expand. Same thing with uh, with everything we're dealing with, everything else around inside of here, of all the technology that's here. We have Genentech. We have all these. Um, this process would work perfectly for everybody. And it is a, a way to we can get low-income housing. When you go out to Stockton, you can buy a brand new home for $200,000. You can look for one that's slightly used. I'm pretty sure they'll start development in Stockton as fast as they possibly could once they find out this thing would be going through. In fact, they'd probably help pay for it. <laughs> Where are you at with the project? You've been working on it for a few years. been working on it for a few years. I've been showing it off. I've been talking to some of the captains of industry and making sure that I, it's a good project. So I showed it to some of the execs at um, Genentech, and they said, I sure wish you would have done this years ago. We would have invested highly into it. They spend a lot of money on buses and keeping people going through around in buses. And then Genentech actually um, took some of their stuff and moved it out of this area like it had to be. But I've talked to the airport. Airport wants to put a, a tram, their tram that goes around to the uh, rental cars. They want to go right into the hub. They want people to, from Stockton to come here without driving a car, be able to come here to San Bruno and take off to the airport. People off the freeways. It's just all it is. So this is a very simple uh, system. I figured it costs $6 billion to build it with private money. And it could be had if the government could give us the permits fast enough. And we could do it. And all it is is a collaboration between 
you put in Apple, you put in uh, uh, Facebook, you, you, you take all these big companies, Genentech, they would all invest in it if we could figure out how to make that work. And we build it as one company going through. Not a lot of unions involved. The unions are one thing that are, will hold it back and the fighting that they, the infighting that unions have is incredible. I've run union projects before. They, the infighting is just over the top. Everybody wants their part of the pie. Everybody says, no, I don't do that. This guy has to do that. You know, they start fighting. You saw what happened to the, the Bay Bridge. They turned that into a disaster. Well, along with Caltrans, yeah, along yeah. with Caltrans. No, I know, and, then, and so, I know they're having some other problems with the steel too. Oh so, yeah, yeah, so they've got some go, serious problems there. there. I, podcast, I don't way. even want to go there. Yeah. All right. What I like to see is this project go through because there are other designs out there. As I got involved in this and I started finding and showing different people, I go, "Oh, have you seen this other guy's design?" and showing it off. There's a guy who actually has mini pods that you can hang from a street post and hop onto these mini pods and it'll take you through the town. And you just put it in the address where you want to go and it'll stop you the closest wow. they can. Wow. It's amazing. That's out of Boston. Wow. Um, there's so much out there and we're not looking at it. We're putting band-aids on this mess and spending more money on that than anything else. We need to stop the insanity. Say, I'm sorry, we're not going to build any more in the peninsula right now. Just stop it for a while. Get this thought done. Get it going. There's a way we have all everything we need to loop the peninsula. We have Highway 101 and 280. Well, one's on the top of the hill and one's at the bottom. We can loop the whole peninsula down to San Jose and back wow. and connect it into this. And when you go out to Stockton, you can take out another loop from there and take you out to further valleys where people where there's land to grow, there's land to do things. How can we change the thought process? One of the major obstacles I think that you're, you're I think you're presenting is the right-of-ways and, and being able to obtain those right-of-ways. Is that difficult? Well, it's all right. So right-of-ways are one thing. All right, some things will need to be taken down, okay? But most of this track line I've designed goes through farmland. And when you have an elevated track that's 20 feet in the air, you're not using up all the land. You don't have to worry about street crossings or anything. You're bridging the whole thing. So the land goes back to use again. Either it can be developed, because these, these trains are very quiet. So you can redevelop the land however you want. You can use it as grazing land. You can use it as farmland or whatever use you need to use it for. You can use it for commercial land that is underneath all these tracks and put the houses in quieter places. So there's, But we need a master plan. And somebody who can get this thing going. The problem is everybody wants to fight upon whose idea it is. They want to put their name on it. Now, I don't care. I don't need my name on this. I just like to see it happen. It would help all of us right now, thousands of a percent. So, well, I'm excited about what you just said, and I know with podcast by the Bay, we're trying to put the news out there and engage the people in the process. Um, yeah. You're an absolute futuristic kind of guy looking at the problem macro, not micro. Right. And, and, and it's really important that, that the people realize out here that we can solve the problems and we need part, better partnerships with your Apple, your Google, your Facebook. I know currently in... Because uh, they've driven. If you look at all of those companies, they have driven up the cost of housing dramatically because of this. So if you look at how where we've gone in the last 20 years or 30 years, it's incredible the cost of living has increased so much. 
we shouldn't have had a, that, that increase here that much. But it's because everybody wanted to be here. This is where it was happening for all the computer industry. This is, you know, which has been a great thing. I'm not saying anything bad about it. But one of the things that nobody looked after, and I kept on asking was, but they keep growing, but it, it's, it's gobbling up all the things that we have out there that we need. And, and it's housing as well as small commercial utilities. So they've have, they're expanding their businesses, and this is all of them and also to support businesses. They're all coming in, they need real estate. So they're taking up all of the small business real estate, the ones that are for the people, like me, uh, contractors, landscapers, um, and I say contractors in many ways. But if somebody wants something done to their house now, all the people coming to work here are coming from across the bay because the businesses are being pushed out of here. Well, they're not only coming from across the bay, they're coming from Nevada. They're yeah. coming all over all over the state. <clears throat> yeah, but we're losing yeah. the printers. We're losing little, little mom-and-pop shops everywhere because they're being gobbled up. Now, the big developments they're trying to do here with big apartment complexes and live workspaces, they call it, well, we're, we, they're counting on stores to be there. But Amazon has gobbled that up. So most stores can't make it anymore. Well, I'll give you a little project in Foster City that's doing a little dovetail. It was designed for commercial and retail. The developer, Saris Region, has decided that that's not as profitable. So they're, they're coming back to the city. They haven't They've been in the planning stages and what they are using is buzzword. This is where the buzzword comes out, workforce housing. So they're trying to partnership with the city. Okay, and it hasn't been approved yet, but we can kind of have a sense that it may be approved. Where there's so much workforce housing that that is given back to the city. And the developer is going to be able to develop housing. And unfortunately, it's in the where the... Uh, um, the Saris Regis project where Penelope, Sandwich Monkey, and some other small businesses are going to have to be kind of compensated because they were promised the commercial retail, which would have helped their business. So mm-hmm. you're, you're right on target with that. You're right well, there's target. also another problem, too. They talk about, oh, we need to have more affordable housing than they do it in apartments. Well, you families don't want to live in apartments, all right? They want to have a house with a yard for the kids and something that it's different. They want a neighborhood. Okay? Apartments don't build great neighborhoods. That has always been the key factor. Once they started building apartments, I remember as a kid, when you went to areas where there was apartments, everybody shunned away from it because, well, those, those, are, those are people who are not stable. They, they don't live here full time. They don't have an investment in the community. And, and this is still going on. This thought still happens. An apartment is for a a traveler or somebody wants to stay there for a little bit or somebody getting out of the house from their parents that they're looking for as they grow older, they're looking for a stable place to own. They want to own the real estate. Well, they, we build condos, but they're not a great investment. And the people who are building the condos aren't really great builders. All right. They do everything they can to not to put any money into it. And we have issues with them. There's so many lawsuits about them. They're not a great investment. Well, you know, you, and, I, and I dovetail, the theme is not really building units, it's building 
income units, not housing, housing units. Yeah. Right. But we need to have places where people can live in neighborhoods where they have houses they have an investment into. And the only way we're going to get that is having more land. Or the best way to do it is what I, what I figured out is we have to head east. We have to head south. Maybe in San Jose, if we have a loop thing, we have another track that goes and out of the end of San Jose that takes you down the way down the peninsula into uh, San Luis Obispo, that area. It's filled full land down there. Well, Dave, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for taking your time. Is there anything you can put out there to the listeners? You have a website uh, uh, location for your proposed plan? Um, I had one, and I took it off because there was a naming issue because I discovered that through research that there was another company for it, but I'm trying to come up with one right now. Thank you by Podcast by the Bay. Love your man, and I can love you, baby, till the crying shame. I don't want you to wash my clothes. I don't want you to I keep my home. I said, I don't want that a green money to come on. I just want to make love to you.
Work all day. I don't want that. Cause we love it too. Come on, y'all. I just wanna make love to you. All right, feel that groove. That was I Just Want to Make Love to You by uh, yours truly. And I also featured Freddie Roulette. That's Freddie Roulette, the great laptop steel player, playing laptop steel on that one. And also we had Danny J on the bass right there. So, all right, hope you enjoyed that. You can always check out more music on HighwaySoul.com on the Highway Soul music page, and you'll find that track and some of the other ones if you scroll into some of the artists right there. So, all righty. Well, hope you enjoyed the show, and hope you enjoyed uh, hearing uh, about Dave Tanner. And uh, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com, and uh, follow us on Twitter, at podcastbythebay. All right. See you on the next time, and we'll catch you on the next time. All right. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.